The question is simple. What is your favorite movie? It's a question that I ask of everyone I meet and I'm always fascinated by the answer. It says so much about the person and oftentimes their answer says a lot about what they value, their interests, and who they are as a person. Each episode, I'll be sitting down and talking to someone about their favorite movie and what makes it so special. This is the Cinematic Gold Podcast. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Cinematic Gold Podcast. I am your host, Cole Keedy, and I've got a great episode for you all today, as the guest host in this episode is me. I unfortunately was unable to have a guest for this episode, and as sad as I am about that, I did have a movie in mind that I wanted to talk about. Now, there are a lot of films that I could cover, but I wanted to do one that came out recently and that has a lot of depth and character to it, and one that I could talk about for a while. And so the movie that I'll be talking about today is Knives Out, released in 2019. So when I first saw Knives Out, I knew that it was going to be something unique. So it's been a long time since we've seen an original murder mystery film, and given the current age of sequels, reboots, and adaptations of novels, when I saw that Knives Out was an original screenplay, I got pretty excited. The world of murder mysteries has been pretty stagnant over the last half century. Apart from the brilliant works of Agatha Christie and subsequent movie adaptations, the murder mystery genre has been demoted to the world of detective shows and one-off half-baked television specials. Being an avid fan of the murder mystery genre, I was excited for this movie from the moment I saw the trailer. So Knives Out perhaps stands as the beginning of a new era, proving to movie studios that we want more well-written murder mystery films. Surprisingly, this isn't the first time we've seen the murder mystery genre be forgotten. Back in the early 20th century, many writers spoke about the bland, overused tropes that made murder mystery novels famous and condemned them from being original writing. As B. Murphy wrote, although the question of whether mystery and detective novels could achieve the same level of craftsmanship and literary significance as the serious novel was long ago laid to rest, mystery writers themselves kept digging it up again. This historical event illustrates that history tends to repeat itself, and indeed has done so with the release of Knives Out. However, the so-called hiatus from the genre has not been without its growth and evolution. Not only does the movie have engaging characters and a well-written plotline, it has well-incorporated real-world issues of class and race discrimination. And with the aid of its visual imagery and literary design, the film's messages come across in a well-written way and does so in a nuanced, natural manner. So the story of Knives Out takes place in modern-day Massachusetts in 2019, so the themes that it addresses are ones that audiences can relate to and gives us character viewpoints that we can relate to in one way or another. The first set of characters we meet are the Thrombies, who are your typical wealthy white American family. Although not all of them are perfectly abled, as seen by Walt who walks with a cane, each of them strongly embody the privileged upper class. They all dress in clean, high-fashion clothing, all have expensive smartphones, and drive shiny new cars. However, all of them have earned their success thanks in part to the patriarchal head of the family, Harlan Thromby. His daughter Linda built her real estate business from the ground up with a million dollar loan from Harlan, his son Walt runs Harlan's book publishing company, and Joni, Harlan's daughter-in-law, gets an allowance as well as tuition money to put her daughter Meg through college. Perhaps the biggest contrast to power is if we compare the Thrombies to Harlan's nurse Marta. Although we learn that Marta is an immigrant from somewhere in South America, we never actually learn where specifically. Each of the Thrombies claim that she is from either Paraguay or Uruguay, and even Ransom calls her Harlan's Brazilian nurse. This reoccurring joke, if you even want to call it that, illustrates that none of the Thrombies have actually bothered to remember where she is from, or even ask her at all. The situation also arises during the detective questioning process and indeed does what so many films from the early to mid 20th century did, which, which was to introduce women and or people of color and who they are from a white person's perspective. Not only do we hear who she is from the Thrombies first, but she is interviewed by the detectives last. And although understandable since she isn't family, she saw Harlan every day, perhaps knew Harlan better than anyone at the time, and she was one of the last people to see him alive. In spite of that, none of them suggested that Marta should be interviewed first because they cared too much about being interviewed themselves. 
This theme of power in this film boils down to the core elements of ego and self-absorbed behavior from the Thromby family. All of them are well off in their own regards, but none of them stack up to Harlan, who truly built his career from the ground up. As Alyssa Wilkinson from Vox wrote in her review, its members are worthy of ridicule, not because they're wealthy, but because they refuse to admit their wealth comes from anything but their own merit. We see this during the detectives questioning the Thrombies, not only because they avoid addressing it, but much of what they say is not the truth. For example, while the famed sleuth Benoit Blanc is questioning each of the Thrombies, we cut away to show what actually happened. Harlan had just found out Richard was cheating on Linda, Joni had been pocketing makes tuition money for herself, and Harlan had fired Walt from his publishing company. However, when each of them are questioned about what had happened, they lie and claim otherwise in order to avoid the question. Even though their lies aren't directly pertinent to the case, and the detectives later admit that none of these are strong enough motive to kill Harlan, each of them lie to protect their image and reputation. This contrasted to Marta, who at this point in the film is the least powerful, but also has the most to hide. Not only was she the last to see Harlan alive, for all she knows, she killed Harlan, and is now hiding that to protect her mom, who is undocumented and could be deported if Marta was found guilty. The fact that Marta's police questioning is pushed to the end not only shows the imbalance of power between the Thrombies and Marta, but also shows that, as Marta says to Blanc, you're not much of a detective. Another example of character exercising their power is by Linda's son Ransom in the final act. Once Blanc has pieced it all together as to how Harlan was killed, Ransom appears to be the guilty party. Once Ransom has been accused, he turns on Marta and threatens her with lawyers and how little jail time he'll receive for attempting to kill Harlan and the other housekeeper, Fran. This part in the film perfectly illustrates the way that our society works and has worked for a long time, regardless of how much evidence is stacked against you, and as long as you have enough money and influence over the accuser, you have a higher chance of only receiving a slap on the wrist for your crimes. Not only is dominance being shown, Ransom is a white man talking down to Marta who is a South American woman and is threatening her with his power. Even though at this point in the movie, Marta has inherited all of Harden's assets and is immensely more powerful than Ransom, he knows that full well and even says that he'll barely get any jail time for his alleged crimes. So the concept of discrimination in Knives Out is purposefully obvious. Because the movie calls back so often to Agatha Christie film adaptations of the 20th century, many of which featured a predominantly white cast with only people of color pushed to the side characters or extras. We see in many of Christie's novels the tropes that are represented in Knives Out, such as three-act tragedy, black coffee, and the adventure of the Italian nobleman. This is another brilliant way that Knives Out modernizes the murder mystery genre. As Brian Tallarico similarly just stated in his review, ultimately, as in the films and books that inspired this one, it's all about the whodunit, which is revealed in such an unexpected way that when, just when you think you have it all figured out, you realize something doesn't add up. For the first half of the movie, you believe that Marta has killed Harlan, whether intentional or not. Where the film subverts her expectations is that Harlan doesn't die by the vengeful hands of Marta, but rather her own innocent mistake and a hasty cover-up by Harlan so Marta's mother isn't deported. Because as Meg mentioned earlier, he's a truly selfless man. He knows that if Marta were found to be the cause of his death, that due to the Slayer rule, Marta would inherit the fortune and his family would take it instead. Fast forward to the end of the movie, once the true suspect has been caught and Marta knows that she's inheriting Harlan's estate, we see her drinking out of Harlan's My House, My Rules, My Coffee mug, her hands leaving only My House visible, staring over the balcony of the family mansion looking down on the Thrombies. This final scene is my favorite in the whole movie, not only because it's such a subtle way to show Marta literally standing tall over the easily hateable Thrombies, but also because the discrimination roles are flipped here. The once rich white family is left defeated and penniless by Harlan and Marta, and the once lower class immigrant Marta is standing on the balcony of their former family home more powerful than them all. So switching gears a little bit, when I first saw Knives Out in theaters, I was invested in the story almost immediately. I grew up watching the recycled plots of Scooby-Doo, so I don't have a very high bar for what entertains me with the mystery plotline. However, Knives Out has quickly become one of my favorites because of its production value and fantastic literary imagery. 
Over the last decade, lots of mystery films or TV show episodes have prioritized concepts of difference, power, or discrimination rather than the characters, plots, or literary imagery resulting in a bogged down half-baked plotline. One example are the recent two seasons of the BBC show Doctor Who. For over 60 years, Doctor Who has been a staple in the sci-fi genre, pioneering new villain ideas and bringing us engaging and creative stories. However, with the recent change of the series as showrunner, the show has begun to include such issues where it hadn't before. Granted, this is by no means unwarranted, the show has included real-world issues for decades and has done it quite successfully. However, given the show's predominantly white male doctor slash white female companion archetype for most of its history, it's understandable to see how the show would want to diversify its character base and attempt to give stories that could also relate to our modern day issues. Unfortunately, in its efforts, however, the show's episodes have become dull and propagandistic and are full of weak villains and shallow, unrelatable characters. However, seeing that the writers and showrunners are actively thinking about these issues and want to bring them to Doctor Who is encouraging. But if we are to look at the way that Knives Out has been able to incorporate elements of discrimination and power into the characters and the plotline, there has to be a level of nuance brought to its execution and better incorporation of those concepts. So another thing I wanted to bring up is the director of this film, Ryan Johnson. As some of you may know, he directed the controversial Star Wars film, The Last Jedi. A lot of people really hated that movie, many of whom blame Ryan Johnson for that very reason. As for me, yes, I did blame him for a while, but after seeing Knives Out, I could tell straight away that the Star Wars films, specifically his, were not in his control, nor were they in the hands of just one person. The new Star Wars trilogy suffered from perhaps the most inconsistent writing and story arc of any movie trilogy in history. And I think it comes down to the simple fact that not only were the films not directed by one person, but I really don't think the story was even written out beforehand. So in the context of Knives Out, as soon as I saw this movie, all of my let's say hatred for lack of a better word, went away immediately. I could tell that this was all his work, not something that he had been hired to carry out. The story was fun, engaging, with twists at every turn. You could tell that Ryan Johnson likes to experiment with film genres and subvert audience expectations. That's what he's good at. The reason why it didn't work in the case of Star Wars is simple. He didn't direct the following movie. Instead, it was given back to J.J. Abrams, who directed Episode 7, The Force Awakens, and this was, to say the least, a massive mistake, since Abrams then attempted to retcon and add an entire second movie worth of information into the last one, so his planned narrative stayed the same. If Disney had just written out the trilogy's main storyline, this wouldn't have been a problem. So, the point I'm trying to make here is not to blame Ryan Johnson for the mistakes of Disney executives. He was brought into the wrong film at the wrong time and did his best. So, whenever I meet people who think Ryan Johnson is a bad director, I always show them Knives Out, and more often than not, they change their mind. So, to conclude, Knives Out marks the dawn of a new era for murder mysteries. Not only did the film reintroduce or renew our love for the genre, but it did so at a time where many movies and TV shows were unable to achieve the same level of cultural and historical insight. Brian Tallarico, who I mentioned earlier, also stated something in his review, saying, It's not just a wildly fun mystery to unravel, but a scathing bit of social commentary about where America is in 2019. The relevant concepts of race and class pair with how it changes those concepts in new ways is what makes the film so uniquely insightful. Seeing the movie and the story that it tells is what I believe makes it so successful. As a result of that success, Ryan Johnson has signed an unprecedented $400 million deal with Netflix to produce two more films in the same universe, with Daniel Craig as a recurring character, much like Praro in the Agatha Christie books. I, for one, am excited to see where this trilogy goes, and to see Blanc with an entirely new cast is going to be super cool. Although I should say I am a bit sad that it is signed with Netflix, especially since I'm a movie collector and the first film was released on Blu-ray, so the chances of this movie getting a home video release is pretty low since it's Netflix, which is a huge bummer. But to be honest, I'll take what I can get. It's a small price to pay in exchange for more from the cinematic universe. 
So with all that being said, this is why Knives Out is my favorite modern day movie. I would absolutely recommend this film to anyone who loves whodunits and especially to anyone who loves engaging progressive films. Thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of the Cinematic Gold Podcast. I am your host, Cole Keedy, and I'll talk to you guys in the next episode.